Thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, please check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com. You can also search One Cause Church on Facebook and on Twitter. God bless you. Tonight, remember I talked to you about the book of Galatians is a strong stance on, it's really Paul's defense of the gospel. It's the first book written to the best of our knowledge in the New Testament. The first book written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or any of those were ever penned, Galatians was written. And Paul stands with this piece of scripture and he shows us who he is. That he is the apostle to the Gentiles and he is apostle that not because men laid hands on him, not because men gave him the authority, not because men came up with the idea, but because he had a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by that revelation, God gave him the authority to preach this gospel to the Gentiles. And then Pastor John talked to us about in in Galatians chapter 2 and showed us the difference that Peter, James, and John in in Galatians chapter 2, they were sent to the circumcised and Paul was sent to the uncircumcised. They had a gospel for the circumcised and Paul's gospel was to the uncircumcised. And the gospel that he preached to us is Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. Can I get a good amen? Amen. And that's the gospel. And whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. I love that. And we must continue to preach that message he, he took such a strong stance in defending that gospel. There were those who were coming in and trying to say that the gospel needed additives to it. It needed these extra things. If you're really, really a Christian, or if you're really, really saved, you'll be circumcised and you'll keep the works of the law and you'll do all those kinds of things. And they began to jumble around and confuse the people about justification. We are saved by grace through faith, Period. We are justified because Christ Jesus did everything that was necessary for us to have a right relationship with God. Amen? And we live our lives in response to his grace. Right? And the only way to live properly is to live by grace. Is to live in his grace. Remember the Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us have grace so that we can live acceptably before God. All right? It's the only proper thing to do. Amen? But here we're going to look in verse 10 or so. Let's go ahead and jump into verse 10. And I'm going to read for a second. And and I'm just going to show you some of the shortcomings of the law, why the law could not do what Jesus did. All right? For as many as are of the works of the law are under what? The curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do the continue in how many things? So they don't get to pick and choose which laws they're going to get good at. They have to do all the law, right? Okay, let's continue. Verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Verse 12. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. All right. The law sets standards that no one could keep. And it makes me think of this little boy, little four-year-old boy, Bobby, who was helping himself to a cookie. And his mother walked in and she caught him in the act. Bobby, what did I tell you would happen if I caught you getting into that cookie jar? He said, that's funny that you forgot, Mommy, with a sigh of relief because I don't seem to remember either. <laughs> See, the law, the law was 
the law was enforced on men by religious leaders, by these Pharisees and scholars of, of the law who themselves couldn't even keep the law. They were confused about the law. They couldn't live up to it. How could they expect these guys to live up to it if they couldn't even get the whole thing down? It was a vicious cycle of manipulation, condemnation, and trepidation. It was burdensome. It was threatening and impossible to accomplish. It kept men hopelessly unholy. Men could never attain to its righteous requirements. And let me just remind us here tonight that the law came because men asked for it. This was never God's plan. This was never his intention. The law came because men asked for the law. They thought that they could be kind of like Adam and Eve. Remember what Adam and Eve, what what intrigued them? You can be like God, the serpent said, knowing good and evil. Well, we know how that worked out. So here they are in the desert, and they said, if he'll just tell us what to do, then we'll know to do good and not do evil. It's the same, same problem. Adam's still there. And God began to deal with them from this law that was glaring at them. That's how his relationship changed with them. In Psalm chapter 103, I believe, it says, he, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. They only saw God perform. But Moses knew his ways because Moses went up on the mountain. God invited the whole assembly to come up with him on the mountain. He wanted to have fellowship with all of them. When they saw that lightning and thunder and smoke, they were like, no, thank you. We might not survive that event. You just tell God whatever he tells us, we'll do that, right? And men have been, they've not been able to live up to that ever since then. We're just not made to live according to good and evil. So this law came, and men broke the law as a result. So contrary to what these, uh, these Jews taught, the law could not justify. It could only condemn. That's all it could do. As a matter of fact, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it calls the law the ministry of condemnation. It calls the Ten Commandments the ministry, that which is written and engraved on stones, the ministry of condemnation. That's why I'm not freaking out because we take the Ten Commandments out of our stuff in, in this country. What we need on our walls is the gospel, not the Ten Commandments. Amen. Amen. Let's pick our battles wisely. Paul quotes out of Deuteronomy chapter 27 here to demonstrate that if people attempt to be justified by the law, then they must keep every bit of it, not just some parts of it, as we talked about. James chapter 2, let's bring that up for verse 10. I'm going to give you a few scripture references, so if you're writing these, these things down, just uh, write fast. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all of it. Right? For, see, you see how hopeless this is. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. It's all or nothing, according to the scripture. Now, since no man is able to keep all the law, Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that says, the just shall live 
by faith. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. All right? So Paul's giving us the answer. This is the answer to justification is faith, not the law. Again, it's to reinforce that it's impossible to keep all the law. All right? So he points out the law doesn't ask men to believe, but it calls for strict, complete, and perfect obedience. The law is not of faith. And whatever is not of faith is what? And remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says about the law? That the law is the dunamis or the right now power to act, the strength to sin. Now, the, the law is not sinful. The law is not sinful. The law is perfect, holy, and just, and right, and good. But when we look at that law, we can't, we can't help but break it. We can't help but break it. Because in and of ourselves, we can never attain to the righteousness of God through that law. Now, law, the law says, do and live. Grace says, believe and live. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that sometimes we forget just how good we have it. I think we forget sometimes. We take advantage of this grace that we have today and forget how horrific it was that side of the cross under that law doing everything you can all day long through ceremonial washings and rituals and feasts and the time of day and how long you worked and made sure you took the right time off and it was just all the time looming over them but today we believe and live can I get a good amen amen It's just, it's, it's, it's just pure pride and foolishness of sinful man to think that he could ever live up to the standards of a holy and sinless God. And the law pointed out very clearly that man's situation was desperate and the only hope that man could have was for a divine act of mercy. And there was only one way to do it, that God would do it through his son. Now, look over at Romans 8 for just a moment. And it says this. Now, I love Romans 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And then Romans 8, verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Now, let's take a moment and think about this. Paul said, Whose law is this? Whose law is this? The law of Moses, ultimately the law of God. I mean, God wrote it with his own finger, didn't he? Now, he says the law was weak. The law of God was weak for what it could not do, and that was weak, how? Through the flesh. It could not be accomplished by men, by men's efforts. God did. The law couldn't do it, so God did it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, praise God, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The flesh was no longer condemned. Sin was condemned. Hallelujah. Because his flesh was perfect. Because Jesus lived a sinless life. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Where? In us. How? Because we don't walk according to the flesh. 
We walk according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God is what enables us to fulfill that law. Hallelujah. To be able to walk the kind of walk that we should walk. To walk, to live the God kind of life. Praise God because Jesus accomplished that for us. The law of God was weak to the flesh. So any laws that we make up are not going to be any higher than that. If his law was weak, any laws that we come up with are going to be weaker. Amen. Christ did what the law could not do. Why don't you say that? Christ did what the law could not do. Boy, praise God. A wealthy man and his daughter, they were traveling to Europe on the uh, SS United States. And the girl, his daughter, fell overboard. And this old man, an older man, he was 73 years old, named Bill, he went over the side right after her and uh, saved her. And, brought the, and after the two were brought back on the ship, the father, who was so grateful, threw his arms around old Bill and said, you saved my daughter's life. I'm a rich man. I'll give you anything. Just ask me for whatever you want. Bill said, just answer me one question. Who pushed me? <laughs> the, the law offered the law offered blessings and cursings but the law could not satisfy the essential need we needed salvation we didn't need one more rule we needed to be free we needed to be redeemed we needed a savior we didn't no rules not more rules that we couldn't live up to. Are you hearing me tonight? Huh? What was the essential thing? We needed Jesus. Christ paid the price to free us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us. The word redeemed means to purchase a slave for the purpose of setting him free. I love that. To purchase a slave for the purpose of setting him free. Now, it's possible to purchase a slave and still keep him as a slave. But this is not what Jesus did. Now, this is, what the, this is what religion does. This is the bait and switch. This is the one foot says God is good. The other foot says you better toe the line. Right? God is good, but. They always have but. But. Right? Yeah, there's grace. But. Yeah, you walk by faith. But you got to obey. They always but, but, but. Right? Trying to balance out the good news. And that's what happened. These Jews, I mean, Paul came and preached this liberating gospel, and then these Jews came in and said, but, but, yeah, that's all right. That's good and stuff, but you got to do some stuff here. You got to do things. If you're really saved, if you're really a Christian, how many times I've heard that? If you're really a Christian, and the problem is what people do, and I've talked about this before, is people confuse discipleship with sonship all the time. It's one thing to be a son. It's another thing to be a disciple. Let me ask you something. It's funny that Nikki quoted this to me tonight. Look, you know what? Turn over to Romans 11, verse 29 for a second, Michael. I don't have this in the notes, but I, this, is, this is important that we look at this. Everybody okay? Yeah. Well, you're awfully quiet about it. Yeah. 
This is a spirit-filled church, right? For the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable or irreversible. The gifts and the calling of God. Now, I don't think anybody in here has a problem with that verse. Right? We see people out here that, that are missing their purpose in life. We see that they're definitely gifted. Right? They're definitely gifted, but they're not using the gift for the right purpose. Because the gifts and callings are without. How come the gift of grace, we act like that's reversible? We don't have any problem with the sinner forever being gifted. But we have a problem with the Christian forever being saved. I don't understand that. What's wrong with us? Okay, let's continue. Christ paid the price to free us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us. The word redeemed means to purchase a slave for the purpose of setting him free. Praise God. So by Christ shedding his blood on the cross, he purchased us that we might be free. Now, Jesus hung on the tree. According to Galatians chapter 3, uh, let's go back over to 13, Michael. Galatians 3, 13. Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, that's a scripture out of Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. Normally, what they would do to the offender, they stoned them, and then they hung their dead body upon a tree, and so everybody can see that this person is judged of God. And remember in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, um, uh, for he was wounded. No, 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 let me back up. Yeah, no, before that. Isaiah 53. Verse 3. Forgive me, I don't have it all memorized, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Isaiah 53 and verse, I'm at 4, and I can't get 3 in my mind for some reason. Are you there? Oh, there we go. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and, acqu and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Let's go to four. Surely, there it is, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That's what, that's what Isaiah is talking about. We esteemed him judged by God because he was on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So everybody looked at him and said, oh, there's the judgment of God. Uh, he's guilty. Right? And that's why it was difficult for the Jews to believe in him. Because they saw a cursed man when they saw him on that tree. All right? But what's incredible about that verse of scripture that says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse. He didn't just become cursed, he became the curse. I love this. See, God went right down to the root of the problem. As he always does. See, it wasn't the fact that we were sinners doing evil things that made us evil. It was the condition of who we were. We were mm, dead in our trespasses. We couldn't help but sin. Sinning out here didn't make us sinners. The fact that we were sinners made us sin. <laughs> All right? Now, it's, you got to think about it that way because it's the right way to think. And, and there's a, the other scripture, 2 Corinthians 5. 
It says that he who knew no sin, he made him, that is God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become what? Not righteous people, but the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, our whole condition, our whole nature had to change. It wasn't just about us doing, it was about our being. Hallelujah. He changed our being so that our doing could change. All right? So that we could actually live according to our nature, right? A new nature. You have a new nature now. You are partakers of his divine nature now. Amen. So because you have a new nature, then you have a new thing to do. He was seen as judged, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, back to Galatians 3. He, he delivered us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Christ has redeemed us, has redeemed us, having become a... Let's go to the next verse. And he did that for this reason right here. This is so beautiful. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through... What? Faith. Faith. When Christ was crucified, it was evidence that he had come under this curse of God. His manner of death was a, a great obstacle of faith to those who saw it as something else until the revelation came of what happened. And now, there's, there's Jesus becomes this curse. God had promised to bless the whole world through Abraham, which was done by Christ when he took that curse upon himself, right? Then that blessing came to all of us. Thank you, Jesus. And with this act of blessing of salvation flowed to all people so that they could be justified by faith, then Christ's act broke down this wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles, right? God only had his eyes, his heart on Israel at one point, and everybody else was on the outside. Now, as a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter, I mean, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, He himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Praise God. Thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. So now that separation is gone. Now God sees all of us in a level playing field. When Peter showed up at Cornelius' house, he'd never been in a Gentile's house ever in his life. He says, of a truth I perceive, God is no respecter of persons. Right? God has changed his mind. Thank God. Second, first, first he became a curse so that that blessing could come to us. And then the second was so that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit was also included in God's plan. Amen. And Christ had to die and be glorified before the Spirit could be given to us. He had to do that so that we could receive the Spirit. And Jesus said in John 16, 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Right? So we have the blessing of Abraham in our life, and we have this promise of the Spirit. Woo! Praise God. By that very act of Christ becoming a curse on that cross. Turn to your neighbor and just tell them, remind them, God is really good. Amen. 
See, these guys, they wanted to, they were trying to bring the Galatians, they were trying to bring these people back into bondage, right? But Christ died to set them free. So salvation is not exchanging one bondage for another, all right? Salvation is being set free from the bondage of sin and the law and into the liberty of God's grace. Christ did what you and I absolutely could not do. He died in our place so that we could be reconciled to God. That's why the Bible calls it a gift, because it's something that can't be earned. It has to be, if it's given, then there's only one right response to it. Thank you, I received that. That's the only proper response that we can give to the grace of God. Otherwise, it's no longer grace. If we feel like we got to do something for it, then it becomes a wage, and no longer is it grace. The only, the only right thing to do is say, I believe that. I receive that. Hallelujah. It's the greatest news in the world. That's why the gospel is called the good news. Yeah. We got to keep it there. But I'm going to go a little bit further. Can you stick with me? Can you eat a little bit more tonight? The law does not repeal God's promises to Abraham. Let's go to verse 15, Michael. It does not repeal God's promises to Abraham. We're going to say, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. What he's saying is, even when a man makes a covenant, there's no addendums to that thing. Right? No one adds to it. No one takes away. Once the covenant is established, it's done. Even among men, that happens. All right? How much more with God, right? Okay, let's go to verse 16. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. All right, let's continue. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later, later than Abraham, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. Well, it's important that we hear this. That it should make the promise of no effect. So what this is saying, the law could not jack with this covenant between God and Abraham, even though it was 430 years later. Now it suspended, but it did not annul it. Are you hearing me? Christ came and then reestablished that Abrahamic covenant to all of us. All right? So Paul strengthens his argument by pointing out that this thing came way later. Abraham did not hear, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not bear false witness. He didn't hear that, and he still lived holy. How? By faith. He walked with God by faith. All right? And Christ brought us full circle back to that relationship. The just shall live by faith. Amen. Hallelujah. So, an inheritance that is based on the law depends on what man does. It depends on man's performance. But inheritance based on a promise depends on God's power. I'm going to say that again. An inheritance that is based on the law depends on man's performance. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. An inheritance based on a promise depends on God's power. God's, God's power to perform. Amen. Hallelujah. By definition... An inheritance is not earned, but simply received. Now let's go, uh, let's look at verse 18, I believe. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham 
by promise. So an inheritance is simply received. And to work for that which is already guaranteed is foolish and unnecessary. I heard about a man a few years ago who received a, a huge inheritance from his grandfather. Um, and uh, he instantly became a millionaire. He inherited a multi-thousand acre ranch, livestock, vehicles, oil, all mineral rights to the land, and millions of dollars in the bank. He was the only grandchild, and his parents were both dead. So he was the only heir that was alive. He had spent much of his life, however, in and out of drug rehabs. He had a criminal record, never worked a normal job. But then one day, he gets a certified letter handed to him, and the information in that letter told him that he was the sole heir to all of his grandfather's wealth. He got what he got by simply being born. The blood in his veins was the same blood in his grandfather's veins. And that alone qualified him to receive the inheritance. He wasn't even half the man his grandfather was, but he still got what his grandfather had. His grandfather earned everything that he had, but he received everything his grandfather had. Jesus Christ earned every good thing for you and I and made all of God's promises sure to us. For you and I to qualify as an heir, to have that inheritance to all that he has, all we have to do is be born into the family. Yes. Praise God. Amen. By simply believing that Christ died for our sins, he yes. was buried, and he rose again the third day. And in an instant, you become a joint heir with Christ. In an instant, you get everything that God has for you. Praise God. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his own mercy, he saved us. Hallelujah. Yes. You've got to be born into it. And you get everything. That's how the inheritance works. You, could ne you and I, we could never measure up to be like God in our own efforts. You can't inherit the promises by being a good little boy. You must be born again. Yeah. Long grace are like oil and water. They don't mix. And when it comes to the Christian faith, you cannot add works to God's plan of salvation. As Paul just has clearly pointed out to us. To do so is to attempt to change God's promise to Abraham. See, the legalist stipulation of works was not merely of modification to this thing, but a cancellation of God's confirmed promise to Abraham. That's what it does. That's what legalism does. It doesn't help modify the system. It cancels out grace. All right? Are you hearing me? So it, it, it's not the right kind of knowledge. Are you hearing me? It's not the right kind of knowledge. People out there have all kinds of opinions. This little boy asked his daddy, he said, Daddy, how come hummingbirds hum? And his dad was caught a little off guard by him. He said, well, let's go ask Grandpa. So he asked Grandpa, how come hummingbirds hum? Grandpa said, because they don't know the words. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's cute. Not the right information, right? Any other answer than justification by faith in Christ is the wrong answer. Anything else is just useless knowledge. Are you hearing me? Grace and faith preceded the law and works. And grace 
and faith supersede the law and works. You see it. It was before it and it is after it. It is the, establish, the, the covenant that God established with Abraham and God said that covenant will be an everlasting covenant. Do you believe he held true to his word? Amen. Let's continue. The purpose of the law. Verse 19. Almost done. What purpose then does the law serve? All right. If this is not what we're supposed to be living by, right? If this isn't our way to get righteous, then what, what, what was the purpose of this law in the first place? Well, it was added because of transgressions till the seed, capital S, that is Christ, should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Let's continue. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So this says that it was added because of transgressions. Let me just give you the word for transgressions and it's parabasis. And it means violation, transgressions, stepping over the boundary, a wrongdoing, disobedience. In other words, the law showed man that he could not live up to a holy and righteous God's standards. He transgressed against God's standards. Do we see that? So it wasn't given to keep men from sin because sin was already in the world. Before the law ever came, the sin was already here. The law was temporary until... And it was given to for the um, interval between the time of Moses until the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go next to the, did we read verse 20? Now, yeah, now meter is not, but uh, God is one. So the law was inferior then to the Abrahamic covenant. Do you see that? All right, because God made his covenant directly with Abraham, but the law came through mediators. All right, God was directly making covenant with Abraham, but that law came through mediation. All right, now. So the reason why the law pointed out man's sin was because it was designed to protect the Israelites, but also to teach the Israelites so that when they came of age, they could recognize their need for that Redeemer to come. All right? It was a tutor. Like, it was to show us not only do we need a Savior, but it pointed only to one Savior. That is Jesus Christ. Let's continue to read in verse 21. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Sure, if that would have been good enough, but it doesn't happen. Verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. See? Kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now, let's hold that right there. Now, that to bring us is actually italicized. It's not there on the, on the screen. It's not actually in the, in the original text. What it really says, therefore, the law was our tutor until Christ. All right? Because the law didn't point men to Christ. The, Lord, the law pointed men to their sin. You remember that? Paul said it's the strength of sin. Remember Romans chapter 7, he talks about what it's like being under the law, that what I do, that what I want to do, I, I don't do that, what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing, right? It's constantly, I, I can't live up to this thing. So it was, it, was, it was constantly showing man just how lost he was, how unholy he was. So it was there until Christ came, all right? So since it, it could never... Uh, it was never intended to be a means of salvation, but all it could do was thoroughly convince men of their sin 
to put their trust in God for something else. Now, notice that God's promise wasn't through many different teachers or faiths, but through Christ Jesus. I like what Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says. It says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Hallelujah. So before Christ came, Israel was under this custody, if you will, of the law. It shielded them from evil surrounding them, and the law served as a tutor. So as long as you were doing the law, things were good for you. You're okay. It was, a, it was a kind of protection, but it depended on your part. And the reason he's likening it to that is because among the Greeks and the Romans, um, the child was um, applied to a trustworthy slave who, charged, who, who were charged with the duty of supervising the life and the morals of boys belonging to a better class, citizen class. These boys were not allowed to even step out of the house without their tutor with them, without their guard, their guide with them, and the boy, until the boy reached the age of manhood. The boy was committed to the slave's care from age, about age six or seven all the way up to puberty. All right? This guy basically fathered the kids. All right? And it was his job to just give instruction, to discipline and uh, they were disciplinarians. They were charged with guarding the children from the evils of society and giving them some kind of moral code, moral training. This was, this was the law's function until Christ came, all right? And people could be justified then by faith in him. So it's better than to understand that the law did not lead us to Christ, but that it was the disciplinarian until Christ came, all right? Praise God, but the reign of the, the, of the law has ended for faith in Christ has delivered believers from that Protective custody, that prison, praise God. You know what? I'm going to stop right there tonight. Christ, Christ satisfied all the demands of the law. That's why we can receive every blessing. Because remember, law fulfilled gives you all the blessings of the law. And the law fulfilled removes every curse of the law. So powerful. So when Christ fulfilled that law at that cross, then all the blessings of God came flooding through to all humanity. And every curse stopped. And God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself. Hallelujah. And now he's given us that, re that ministry of reconciliation. Right? What is that? What is that? What did Paul say? What's our message? Be reconciled to God. Your life isn't your own. You've been bought with a price. The price of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Which gives you a purpose. Which gives you a destiny in this life. Which gives you a reason to live. Amen. All right, we'll continue this next time. Father, I want to say thank you for this time under your word. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for the grace of God that has come to us, that we live in this day and age. This is the greatest day and age of the church. Father, I thank you that you've called us at this time for this hour. You've reconciled us. You've redeemed us. You've saved us from our sin. Hallelujah. And that law does not no longer loom over us, and neither does that sin 
any longer loom over us, but Christ took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And today, as the church of the living God, we thank you, God, that we are marching forth in victory. Hallelujah. What a time for the church to be the glorious bride of Christ in the earth today. Thank you, Lord, for causing us as one cause, church, God, to be a great light in this community, God. That these families here, God, will be great lights in their homes, in their neighborhoods, on their jobs, Lord. And wherever they go, Father God, that that ministry of reconciliation would always be on our lips, God. That we would see the opportunity, God, to be able to share the love of God with someone, to tell them our story, how Jesus saved us from our sins and how he'll save them too. Father, I thank you for giving us the understanding, giving us wisdom, Lord, for life, that, that it's all the power that we need is in that gospel. The power to save men is, are, are in those very words. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to be bold, even as the disciples prayed, that we would just be more bold. Give us more boldness, God, to not be afraid, to not be ashamed, to not hesitate. But to sense the urgency, God, that souls are on the line, that people's lives are in the balance. And Father God, we want to do everything we can to see that Jesus gets his reward for his incredible sacrifice. And his reward is people. His reward is people with him forever. Hallelujah. This is why we're here at this time, to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. Hallelujah. Thank you for blessing your people and empowering by your spirit to be witnesses in this earth. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Once again, thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. We invite you to check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com for upcoming events and information about us. God bless you.